It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you for being with me this morning. Hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. We're rolling into summer. And for those of us in Chicago who have been thinking about the rising levels of Lake Michigan and water coming over the Outer Drive as it did over Memorial Day weekend when we had a big northeasterly blow, we have nothing to complain about. How about the proposal from the Corps of Engineers, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, to build a 20-foot, six-mile-long seawall, 20-foot high, six-mile-long seawall along the front of Miami Beach down through Biscayne Bay to try to help Miami to stop having so much water damage? I saw this, and I said, this can't be. Could you imagine if the Army Corps of Engineers suggested that to save the city of Chicago from rising Lake Michigan levels, that we build a 20-foot-high wall along the Outer Drive, starting up on the north end all the way up at, let's say, Foster, and going all the way south, almost to Indiana, blocking off the lake with a 20-foot-high wall that would have big steel doors that drop down during storms and things. Could you imagine what the reaction of all of us who love the city of Chicago, whether we visit it, live here, we would explode. We'd say, absolutely not a chance. Well, that's what the Corps of Engineers is proposing for Miami. 20-foot high seawall that would help. It wouldn't stop. It would help reduce flooding in Miami. And they say that it would cost $6 billion. Well, I've been working with the Corps of Engineers. No, I've been working uh, often at times to stop the Corps of Engineers from doing projects uh, through my years of conservation work in the outdoors. I can assure you of one thing that I'm as certain of as the sun coming up tomorrow morning. If the Corps of Engineers estimates it will cost $6 billion, it's going to cost a whole lot more than $6 billion. I have never known the Corps of Engineers to bring a project in under budget, ever. I have known them to do a lot of things that are terribly, terribly destructive to the environment with the best of intentions up front with the outcome that has been catastrophic. And in this case for Miami, obviously the city of Miami pushed back. And if you don't believe me that they plan a 20 foot high seawall as a possibility to stop storm surge, it's, uh, I think you can look it up. It's on the news. Um, but it strikes me that This is the kind of thinking we have today that is totally incompatible with the real world. The Corps of Engineers, by design, builds things. They were designed to for transportation. They've moved into moving transportation interests. They've moved into all kinds of things, and one of them now is flood control. In fact, they are the federal entity that is responsible for flood control. But they don't live in the real world often. 
the estimate for Miami-Dade County alone to phase out 120,000 septic tanks that are going to be below sea level, according to projections, well, that's a mere $4 billion. And that does not include the cost of all the homeowners connecting to some kind of a sewage system. So the reality is what we're looking at in Miami is is often no different than what we're looking at in other coastal cities. It just happens to be the biggest problem. New Orleans has got it. Houston's got it. New York has it. Miami probably has it. Um, excuse me, I said $6 billion. The cost uh, is actually $40 billion um, of real estate that would be impacted for a project cost estimated at six. So there's $40, million, $40 billion worth of real estate in downtown Miami under today's estimates uh, that would be at risk if we do absolutely nothing. But um, the idea of putting up a 20-foot high wall, this would divide neighborhoods. It would leave certain homes on the seaward side with no protection, certain homes on the inward side with protections. If you're on the inward side of a 20-foot high wall, I, I think you kind of lost the reason why you might have built a house along the uh, coast of Florida to begin with. So overall, what I wanted to bring up today is the discussion that major cities are having about how they are going to deal with what they perceive to be rising sea levels. And I've, for all of my adult life and, and, and even actually before I was adult, I've had the pleasure of, of going to the coast of Maine. Uh, I have seen the decline in the amount of beach along the southern coast of Maine and whether the sea has risen one half an inch or an inch Whatever's happened, water goes further inland than it used to, and this has been going on for a long time. Here in Illinois, we have seen record low lake levels just 20 years ago, and now record high lake levels, although we're receding. Louisiana, Miami, they, they get a big tide now, and parts of the city flood. Uh, it could just be that for Miami, a lot of the city is... Is, was built in a place it shouldn't be. I, I'm not going to make that suggestion. I'm just saying that one way or another, Miami is facing, and Southern Florida is facing a a pretty serious problem if sea levels do indeed rise the way they're forecast. And I would offer that most Floridians are not willing to look at 20-foot-high seawalls as a means to... Uh, to live there. So that's the Corps of Engineers surprise for Miami. We can protect you. $6 billion, 20-foot high seawall running for miles, and we think we can protect your house from getting from getting flooded. Moving from Florida, let's go to Idaho for a moment, and let's let's talk about wolves, because this is an unbelievably dynamic issue that has occurred in Idaho. 20 years ago, wolves were reintroduced to the state of Idaho with the population goal that in the entire state, there would be 150 wolves broken up into 15 packs of wolves, roughly 10 wolves in a pack. There are now 1,500 wolves estimated. That would be 10 times the number that they wanted to have in Idaho 
that they thought could be protected by the landscape could afford to have about 150 wolves, and now it's got 1,500. So the Idaho legislature, and something that's become extraordinarily controversial, has passed a bill that says we're going to shoot 90% of the wolves in the state of Idaho to bring us back to the goal of having 150 wolves and 15 packs in the state. When the wolves were reintroduced, it was agreed that if their population got above 150 wolves, that it would be controlled. That was the deal. That was the deal that ranchers signed off on. That was the deal that everybody signed off on. More than 150 wolves, and and we will control the population. Well, as it occurred, wolves found a great life in, in Idaho, and they've been eating elk and deer and moose and sheep. That would be domestic sheep and um, and cattle at a fairly alarming rate. And the elk, the elk population has changed dramatically. Uh, and the state deer populations have, have also declined. And, and it's believed the reason is we've got 10 times the number of wolves in Idaho that were projected. So the state says we're going we're gonna to stop this and we're going we're gonna to kill 90% of the wolves. Well, predictably, this is going to court. You have all kinds of groups suing to say this is not right. And the state of Idaho says a deal is a deal. We agreed to bring wolves in and we agreed to population levels and we're not changing the rules. I don't know what took them so long. If you had a population goal of 150 and you find out you have 1,500, you've been negligent for quite a while. And what, why this is probably now such a big deal, because saying that we're going to kill 90% of anything gets people's attention. So they're going to greatly expand the number of permits for hunters. They're going to expand trapping, and they're going to have animal control measures that are hired out through private contractors. That's if the courts let them. We'll see what happens. But once again, this is a, and I talk about this often, this is a prime example of fish and game departments doing something based on science and then politicians coming in and saying, we don't really care what the science says. We have a lot of other concerns here. And then we try to manage populations based on politics. It never works and it's not working here. You're going to hear a lot more about it, but it does go to show that just because we say we want to have a certain number of something, doesn't mean that that's absolute. And when we talk about reintroduction of wolves in almost every state, they have gone far beyond, and I'm far beyond what was desired by by science. And now they're having a hard time controlling it because of non-scientific inputs. I'll be back in just a moment with more on the Great Outdoors show. When I do, I'm going to talk a little bit about a new study that came out on how many of us actually hunted and fished last year. And if I have time, I'm going to talk a bit about a program in Montana to try to get people to go pheasant hunting. Thanks for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN, and first a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert, sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are, communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. 
Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, I'm going to talk now about, for briefly about Southwick and Associates has published the report on the size of hunting in 2020 shooting and sport fishing markets. Uh, it just came out this week, and their their head is the 2020 year with COVID fundamentally changed the volume and types of hunting, fishing, and firearms related products that were consumed. We all know that hunting went up tremendously and fishing went up tremendously. Uh, during the COVID era. The question is, what will happen in the post-COVID era when people, lots of us, go back to work, we have kids that have obligations, we have obligations, we travel, and we're not sitting at home or we don't have the free time. Carrie Lufton, I spent a long time talking about that not too long ago. I've spoken on in the air frequently, but we don't know what's going to happen. My guess is we're going to see a decline after this summer. I think this summer is going to be gangbusters provided you can actually get the products. Fishing last year, the fishing tackle market last year uh, rose above $10 billion. Uh, the firearms market was over $24 billion. Uh, in 2020, as we know, presented huge challenges uh, in getting equipment, and 2021 is actually proven to be worse. Good luck trying to find anything recreationally oriented, whether it's a bicycle, uh, a, a box of shotgun shells to go trap and skeet shooting, uh, whether you want to uh, fix a part on your boat. They just aren't, the shortages are across the entire spectrum and prices, as we all know, are, are really skyrocketing, causing all kinds of supply chain issues. But interestingly, um, firearms sales last year in dollar volumes exceeded 60% growth. And the report goes on to say after a slight growth in the first quarter of 2020, firearms and ammunition sales literally exploded, no pun intended, for the rest of the year with a growth exceeding 60%. And that's despite supply constraints. Hunting and shooting sports accessories also saw growth. Fishing tackle sales saw an overall increase of 55%. Now, we did not see an increase we saw an increase of about 15% in license sales, but we saw an increase of over 55% in fishing tackle sales. It was a huge year, huge year to be in the sporting goods business. What happens next uh, this year? We'll, we'll wait and see. But it's a um, it was a record year, and we and we saw that across the board in the outdoor industries. Obviously, now we've got really tight supply lines. We'll see what happens as we move into fall. But a lot of individuals who are planning to go hunting, if you don't have your, your ammunition now, uh, you, you may have a tough time getting it. As I said last week, if you do have it, please don't hoard it. There are lots of people who, who would like to get it. Montana. Montana has a, a really <laughs> interesting program. They are trying to recruit new hunters. And so what they're going to do, 
is they are going to spend a million dollars raising and releasing pheasants for youth hunting days in Montana. We've all talked about the decline in, in younger hunters, and there's all kinds of reasons. Montana says, let's give them something to shoot, and maybe they will want to go hunting. This is something that I've said for, for quite a while, is it may not be that people don't want to go hunting. It's that they don't have a place to go hunting, and when they, go to, when they do have a place to go hunting, the hunting isn't very good. And Illinois is the poster child for this. We used to be one of the top pheasant states in the country, one of the top quail states in the country. And today we virtually have no quail, wild quail, and we have very few wild pheasants. So it doesn't matter how much access you have, there's no opportunity. Montana says, no, we're going we're gonna to spend a million dollars to raise and release pheasants for youth hunting. And that is an entirely different approach. They're going to release them on public areas where, where youth hunting can take place during youth hunter days. And obviously, there'll be lots of pheasants left over that then can be pursued by, by regular individuals during the regular hunting season. So we'll see if it works. Uh, there are a lot of people who are against this. Montana thinks that the research they've done indicates in the case of Montana, it probably isn't so much about access, it's about quality. Maybe they've been listening to the Great Outdoors show. We'll see if other, other states pick up on this, but overall, it's a, uh, it's a whole new approach. I'm, I'm actually betting um, that uh, it's going to attract a lot of youth hunters uh, because they're going to have opportunity. And it's the same thing. You can take a kid fishing. He has a lot more fun if he catches fish or she catches fish than just sitting in a boat um, and, and, and watching, you know, your troll or the bobber go up and down. So let's see what happens in Montana. They're the only state doing it. I think it has a shot at, uh, at working. 50,000 birds are going to be released. That's a lot of birds. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week with much more on the Great Outdoors show. I hope you have a great week in the Great Outdoors. This is Charlie Potter, the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.